This is day three of Brick Me on the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton, and my co-host once again for the third day running, Miss Joe Morgan. Hello, Joe. Hi, Craig. So, Joe, before we dive into the sessions that we've seen, listeners will be desperate for an update on the quiz because we, we left people on a cliffhanger last night. We were just <laughs> on our way to the uh, the Brick Me 2018 quiz. We weren't rating our chances high. But some remarkable things happened, so we need to discuss these. The first, and listeners can go back to listen to day two, when I describe my specialist subjects as being the music of Oasis, 1994 to 97. And we're coming up to the music round, and we'd held back our joker, which you get double points on, you can choose any round to do, we'd held it back for the music round, and before a note had been played, I said to Andrew Taylor, head of maths at AQA, who was writing things down, I said, just stick down, question one, live forever, Oasis. And Joe, what <laughs> happened? The first song they played was Live Forever, Oasis. It was ridiculous. And it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. Literally everyone on the table in a split second knew it was Live Forever and our jaws dropped. I don't know. You, like, you had you predicted what was going on. He's doing. He's he's, <laughs> he's nailing the music round without hearing the music. I, I don't. You are that good at yeah, quizzes. That, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit scared. I'm a bit scared. So so that that was if anything that was a turning point because we we were doing all right, weren't we? To that point, we were, we're doing, doing mid table. We were doing, we were doing really well. We we're mid table, um, but the thing that we knew was going well was you know you have the sheet the whole way through with all the cryptic puzzles and all that. Um, and particularly you, Craig, and Andrew, um, and in fact everyone on the table, mm, was actually doing such a good job of that that I felt it was definitely the best quiz team I've ever been on. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Things were looking good, but it, they kept putting the Excel league table up. Yeah, um, yeah, after we each And we were kind of mid-table. Yeah, we mid-table. No, no one was getting too carried away, but we yeah. had a good music round. Anyway, they took the handout round, they did the music round. Next thing, the scrolling up bottom upwards on this Excel thing and I can't see a bloody thing with my glasses so I'm, I'm saying to you Joe have our team come up yet or oh, what were we called by the way I wasn't happy about this I arrived late oh yeah so this. Craig wasn't there when we chose the team name and then obviously Craig's book is called How I Wish I Taught Maths so we called our team How I Wish I Did the Quiz very good which is a good product placement I was, <laughs> I was secretly happy about that so I'm looking for this how well, a blurry outline of how I wish uh, we'd done the quiz no sign of it anyway cut a long story short we're only at the top Top of the lead table, but in an extra twist, we were we've tied. We yeah. tied for first. So, I'm um, sorry about this, Lisa. If you tuned in expecting to hear some maths insights, <laughs> they're coming in a bit. But wait to hear this next development. So, um, tiebreaker. So the our team stands up, and we're up against a team that's contained. I mean, it's an all-star line. Do you see who's in this other team? I didn't see. Alison Kiddle from Enrich oh. and her mates. So they oh, are they're super people. smart. Right. So we're stood up, and the quiz organizer said, "Right, I'm going to say a question and uh, just yell out the answer." So the question is, so which artist recorded a song where all the lyrics are the digits of pi? Now I didn't have a bloody clue. Um, so I'm thinking, right, well, that's game over. But someone in the audience who wasn't a member of those two quizzes shouts out the answer, which listeners uh, shouted out now if you know it, which apparently is Kate Bush. So that question was voided. 
So we had to have another tiebreak question. And this was ridiculous, wasn't it? Because he didn't even get through the question. He just All he said was, which artist albums? I don't think many more words no, came out from that. No, this was amazing. And Andrew Taylor just yelled, Andrew Taylor, by the way, who's, well, he was the oldest member of our quiz. I'm not going to speculate at his age. But he just yelled out, Ed Sheeran, yep. from nowhere. And all it was, which artist album? Andrew Taylor, like a man possessed, Ed Sheeran. And the rest of the question would have been, uh, it contained mathematical symbols. I won the bloody quiz. So we win the quiz. And the I final irony of all ironies is what are our prizes for winning this quiz? <laughs> After myself and Joe confessed our lack of knowledge and slight scepticism about manipulatives, and I've had some stick about this today throughout the conference, yeah. our prize was our very own <laughs> set of manipulatives, algebra tiles. And donated by LaSalle Education, which is fantastic. So thank very you, generous. LaSalle, for that. So that was our update. I bet you're pleased about that, listener. So we are the quiz quiz I, champions. I cannot believe you won the quiz. That was amazing. No, no. So we're, we're, we're feeling very Highlight smart. of the year. Correct, correct. And there's, there's some good pictures on quiz you captured a so we captured the moment when we found out I won and my face was, uh, you know, yeah, was shocked. quite a picture anyway right so uh, that was last night and I was planning to get an early night show after the quiz but then we had a celebratory some, bottle some of uh, Prosecco yeah. that, that Joe kindly bought so we were both feeling a little bit ropey in the morning but I managed to make it out of bed to go to breakfast and then go to the first session now a little confession listeners here um when I first saw the sessions for Brick Me when they came out um, I had my eye on Colin Foster's mathematical attitudes. Yes. So Colin Foster, one of my favourite humans, one of my favourite episodes of this podcast is when I had him on there. If you haven't listened to it, stop what you're doing now and then go and listen to it. It's phenomenal. And I really wanted to hear Colin speak about mathematical attitudes. But as you'll know, Joe, because uh, we were both speaking the second session yeah. today, there's a 10 minute transition and you're running you're putting your life into your hands trying to yeah. get from the Can't end of done. one to the start yeah. so I, I but fortunately um, I thought right I'm going to choose one that's close to where I'm running and luckily there was an excellent sounding one happening in my the very room I was running my session so it was prioritising students engagement through and in mathematical reasoning at A level right. with uh, by Nicola and I'm going to get this wrong Brecher I'm going for okay. there now she started off, she hooks me in early on with this point. She says that priority in initial, the initial teacher training is mainly on the pedagogy of key stage three and four teaching. Yes. And whenever A-level gets brought into play, it's normally just kind of subject knowledge. Yes. It's very rarely do we focus on the pedagogy of key stage five teaching in the way that we would in key stage three and four. Would you say that's a fair... Well, I think as well, I don't know if it's the same for every teacher training course, but most people qualify in teaching key stage three and four and they don't even have to have A-level as part of their course as far Absolutely. as I know. Absolutely. And certainly when I did my training, um, I did. I was lucky that I was at a school that let me do some A-level teaching on my yes. training, but that was quite unusual. You're right. So you've got that as uh, aspect as well. You could well be two or three years into your career before you're kind of almost allowed to teach A-level. Absolutely. Actually, at my school, we, we don't let NQTs teach A-level, for example. Yeah, yeah and, and it's really interesting. And I think so. I mean, I've been teaching now, I think it's 13th or 14th year, something like that. Um, there is a definite distinction between the way I teach A-level compared to the way I teach GCSE. Mm -hmm. And these kids are only, what, potentially three or four months difference in age. Yes. And, and it's kind of a different mindset. And what I really took away from this session was that some of the effect, it's so flipping obvious to say, but the effective practices that we use at Key Stage 3 and 4, we should be doing the same, same mm -hmm. assailable. Um, but again, you'll probably agree with me on this, Joe, there's, there's not as many top quality A-level resources as there are 
key stage swing four. There's certainly bundles of quality stuff, and mm -hmm. you yourself um, highlight some, and maybe you can chip in with with a few extra after mm -hmm. I've chatted away here. But it's not the case that there are there are as many. So I'm always on the lookout for new stuff. Um, so we, we we sat down, and I sat next to two two great people. And we, we basically did some A-level maths. And the first one we did, and I'll put a link to the picture, it's a wonderful activity. It was a match the graph activity, but it was match the graph to the physical processes. So there was six descriptions of physical processes. There were nine graphs that you had to match uh, right. each physical process to, which left three blank graphs, which you then had to come up with your own process for. Yes. So some of these things were, um, a small initial sample of bacteria reproduces rapidly in an environment with lots of food. The Y variable is the number of bacteria present. The X variable is time. So I was thinking to myself, right, is that some kind of exponential shape yeah. graph? What happens at zero? What's the impact of having this lots of food compared to limited mm -hmm. food and so on? But then the one that screwed me over big time was this one. A small heavy ball falls from an aeroplane. So that's a small heavy ball falls from an aeroplane. The Y variable is the vertical distance traveled in meters. The X variable is the time in seconds. Now I have a trouble with height and, and acceleration and speed because I'm thinking the Y variable is the vertical distance traveled. So the first thing is I'm thinking right. to myself, is it ever gonna get flat? I don't know, flat's probably a bad word to say here. Is it ever going to have a, a gradient of zero? The vertical distance travelled. There'll be a time when the, the distance being travelling being travelled hasn't isn't changing. But will but but surely not, right? Well, this is this when is it hits, kind of, when, when it hits, hits the ground. ground, right? When it hits the ground. So the twist with this is you didn't know what kind of almost section of the I journey see. Oh, you were right. looking at. Okay. Because our first insight, we were looking for a graph that kind of starts off steep and then flattens out. But then we were like, no, well, what? You know, it's not going to kind of flatten out. No. It's just going to start. It's just going to go from steep to just horizontal when it hits the ground. It's not going to like slow down as it's hitting the ground. If yeah. That makes sense. And then, then the guy next to me, he was a, a bit of a mechanics whiz. He, he was chatting about terminal velocity. And when I start hearing stuff like this, it's over my head. Like, give me a Poisson distribution any day. Oh, keep, absolutely. Keep, keep this nonsense away from me. <laughs> so anyway, a couple of things I took away from it. It was, it was, it's always nice to be in the shoes of students, I think, doing activities. Yes, I agree. And the problem I find sometimes with activities aimed at key stage three and four is that you have the curse of knowledge. The fact that we can have a good time as subject experts doing them but we can never remove the knowledge that we've gained mm -hmm. so for example when we were in Anne Watson's session on day one yeah we knew the maths involved so we could to a certain extent experience the same thing that the kids were but we couldn't lose or hide the fact that we had existing knowledge mm -hmm. that meant we could access those tasks differently to, to some yeah. students would be able to whereas in this I was a complete novice yeah. learner having to think really 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 mm -hmm. hard and I think that's an important thing for teachers to experience. And all it's a case of is just finding something you're not comfortable at. And like for me, it would be mechanics and doing one of these kind of activities because it really gives you a kind of fresh view on, on how students experience So things. is that an underground maths activity? So that, it she, sounds like it. I, it I've, was, seen, I've seen yeah, something similar before. I think, she, uh, I, think it was, I think it was from Enrich and okay. been, ad been adapted, okay, basically. Yeah. But okay. it, um, it's all part of this AMTEC uh, project that's on. There's, there seems to be lots of these activities. So I'm going to Google right. it and I'm going to try and link to okay. it um, in there. 
And one of the aims of this, this project is, um, as well as getting kids thinking hard and populating um, A-level rich content, it's to, um, to emphasise the importance of using precise mathematical language. Mm -hmm. And this will be the last thing I talk about about this. It was a lovely activity. I'm going to just, <laughs> this is not going to work audio, but I'm gonna, you can look this up on the show notes. I'm just going to show it to Joe here. So you were given those three uh, kind of curves, I guess you'd say. Yep. And you were asked to identify which one is, if one of them is y equals f of x, which one is it? If one of them's the first derivative of f of x, uh -huh. what is it? And if one of them's the integral of f of x, right. what is it? Okay. But the interesting twist was, um, you had to try and do it using kind of precise mathematical language about stationary points, right. gradients changing from positive to negative and so on. And it was flipping hard. We were chatting all sorts because we were trying to get our head around. And it really made me realise that, that sixth formers struggle with this, A-level students struggle with this. The notion between a gradient being positive mm -hmm. and a gradient increasing mm -hmm. is very different. And if you look at the gradient function of a quadratic, it's a straight line, whereas the gradient function of um, um, an exponential curve mm -hmm. will be a curve itself. Yeah. So we, it was really interesting talking about the, the changes and then we have points of inflection and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So really nice activity. So my kind of my main takeaway from that is this is a nice source of A-level activities. And as I say, I'll, I'll put a link to it. And it's also, it's very important for teachers to experience what it's like to be a, a student and I would argue that you can only really do that if you take on a mathematical activity that is almost towards the limits of your own subject knowledge. Absolutely. Joe, what's your, because you've done a lot of work on kind of A-level resources yes, and stuff. Right, you did something yeah. over the summer, right? So where, where do you go to for your A-level stuff? Um, there are, I think there's quite a lot of A-level resources available and I know, and but there, it, it, I suppose it is different to GCSE and that, you know, the sort of places that I go, like Don Stewart for my GCSE resources, most websites like that don't have A-level sections. Yes. Um, so, you know, there's lots on, people will always say, oh, integral, um, lots of which you need a login for, um, and, I, and I don't have a login for that, unfortunately. Um, but there's, um, there's TES authors, like um, Susan Whitehouse, and her stuff is brilliant, and I and I use that. I use loads of her stuff. I'm telling you, um, she S R Y. Yes, yeah, she is. S R Y. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and then there's stuff that um, is available that is kind of was written for MEIs, like stuff that Susan Wall has written in the past, which is available, and you don't necessarily need to have a login to Integral to access these things. A lot of it's on STEM Centre, for example. Um, and and there are, there are tons of fantastic um, tasks around. And underground maths is all available for free. They stopped the project, but they the, the stuff they made is still there. Um, so I do think there's that my my problem is that I don't get much time to do lovely tasks because when you teach A level it is a, a race and and it's mm. and it's rubbish that we have to teach like that. Um, you know they they gave us a new A level which I think is harder um, and we don't have any more time to do it. We didn't have enough time in the first place and this year I have just felt that I can't slow down on anything and even if I want to do a really lovely task it's like no I just have to teach you the stuff, get that knowledge yeah. in your head and on we go. I'm thinking I, I kind of feel the same but my hope is this is kind of the first run through of this this new A level. Yes. So maybe once we've gone through it yeah. and we realise where we can save time yeah. and what we need to emphasise then we can start embedding these. It's like with the new GCSE right like I've heard yeah. about you that first run through of that it was just let's mm. just make sure we get everything covered yeah. that's got to yeah. be top priority yeah, but right. now yeah. this time round yeah. we know what to emphasize when we start bringing these tasks so fingers crossed there will be opportunities it will get easier. for these yeah absolutely and, and I do um, uh, so yeah, I think there's I mean a lot of teachers at A level there's a lot of textbook teaching at A level more so than there is a GCSE um, 
and my school we don't have textbooks we don't even have them for a level which is really unusual mm. um so um which does mean that i do look around for resources um and and you know what i find surprising is that people don't use the 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 a level pages on my blog where i list loads of resources i have them by topic there and i think so many a level teachers don't know that's yeah. there um so you know it's I, I shouldn't plug my own blog on this podcast <laughs> but if there's a level teachers looking for resources i have loads categorized by topic on my blog i've got tons of them well there we go the, yeah. the, the listeners will be uh, plowing along <laughs> to it now now joe I, I was obviously going to at this point going to get you to talk about what you did session one but <laughs> i had a lion you a lion session <laughs> no one. well the thing is i didn't it wasn't so I, it's the same problem as you I was. I wanted to go to see Colin Foster. I was speaking in the second session, and the layout here is such that there's there's sessions happening in two different buildings, and you just. I wouldn't have set my session up on time if I got. Yeah, and it's exactly. really frustrating. Um, and then also, I've been. I had such a long day yesterday. Um, and then with all the kind of drinking and stuff, I just really, so I had a lion. Exactly. Um, and then that means I was ready for my session. Um, and. Um, my, so my session was in the second slot and my room was too small and I, I knew you've had the same problem, people sitting on the floor, you know, I, I think um, feedback for the, I, I love this conference and it's brilliant and I don't want to be critical of it but I just say feedback for the organisers next year is they need to get numbers for sessions as much as well as they can and then allocate the rooms yeah, rather exactly. than the way they do it which is to allocate the rooms then get the numbers because, um, you know, it's it's not nice that us having to, people were having to be turned away from my session because you couldn't physically fit people in a room and I know you had a similar situation. So it's a shame, um, but I um, my session went well, and um, I think people got a lot out of some of the, the the folders that I showed them and some of the resources I went through, and I talked about the quizzes I do, and yeah, it was good. So I'm relieved that that's done because uh, I do get nervous about these things, um, but I think it was it was a good session. Good. And, and you were on at the same time as me, so I couldn't come and see you. Yeah, I, I was, um, and yeah, it, it went fine. Um, I had a similar issue with the room, so I think the, there was capacity for about 50 or 60 in the room. So it was one of the bigger rooms, yeah. but I think about 80 or 8, 85 turned up, and at one point I had to almost hire a bouncer <laughs> in the form of the photographer and just lock the door, which I, again is against health and safety, I'm sure. Yeah. And people were banging on the door trying to, <laughs> trying to get in. But it's hard, isn't it? Because when people are arriving, in, um, you, you, you've planned an hour uh, yes. kind of workshop yeah. and you always expect to lose a kind of couple of minutes yeah. at the start but when people are arriving kind of five minutes uh, after the start and then there's nowhere for them to sit yeah. and then you've got to stop talking and they kind of walk in front of you and then they're not happy at you because they've nowhere to sit yeah. like, and it was it was difficult but anyway it was fine um, so my session was about um, mischievous misconceptions in maths and I used data from diagnostic questions and highlighted some obvious misconceptions, the ones we all know about, like um, adding fractions, adding the numerators, multiplying by 10 when you do decimals, just sticking a naught um, on the end of the decimal mm -hmm. number. But then I also, uh, I chose some mischievous ones, ones that you don't necessarily expect. So ones like uh, a rule everybody knows is that probabilities are always less than one. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet you can show diagnostic questions where you present kids with four probabilities and say which one of these could be a probability and they don't have a flipping clue because they're not used to seeing probabilities in unusual forms like yeah. 0 0.0002 and all this. So picking out um, unusual mischievous misconceptions, ones that 
when you're planning lessons, you might not necessarily think I need to focus upon these mm -hmm. ones. So I did that, and I also played my Guess the Misconceptions game, but with a twist this time. And it was get because I knew I'd have a varied audience of primary and uh, and secondary. So I played Guess the Misconception across the key stages. Ah. So I showed them four questions, one of which um, had been answered by key stage one students, one right. by key stage two, one by key stage three, and one by key stage four. And you had to guess the misconception. And out of the eighty-five people in there, there was only two people who got each of the four questions right, right which always happens, and it always reinforces the point that the misconceptions we think our kids have mm -hmm. aren't necessarily the ones that they yeah, do have. Right. And uh, again, it's a little plug for diagnostic questions, but it's completely free. For me, looking at questions and kids' explanations in advance allows you an insight into the misconceptions they're likely to have, which for me is essential tool when it comes to planning. Mm. So that was my session. And then um, I'll just very quickly talk about this because straight after that was a plenary. Um, session and I turned up to this expecting it to be something and it was something else because listeners will know from last night um, and I'm trying to get Joe on this bandwagon as well the <laughs> uh, manipulatives bandwagon so anytime I hear anything to do with manipulatives mm. my ears prick up and I'm there so I saw this session advertised blocking so I'm thinking to myself, blocks? <laughs> so I mean, well, I've, I've got some algebra tiles now. Maybe I'm going to learn how to use blocks. But it turns out it wasn't about that. It was run by uh, Ruth Mertens, and it was about the blocked curriculum as opposed to the spiral curriculum. Right. And it was completely primary focus, okay. which is fascinating for me because I'm out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. straight away. And even she's coming in at early doors about early years. Right. And I could not know less about this. And a little shout out here. <laughs> Helen Williams has collared me uh, today, and she's essentially forcing herself on the podcast to talk about early years so I'm ready for that so I'm gonna that's, see, that's, that's fascinating for me because I have a, a daughter who's um, one who's starting reception in um, September one who's currently in year one and so I'm getting to know a bit about yes. how um, maths is taught in early years and it is fascinating it, is fascinating. it really is and it, it, like something I don't know anything about and it's funny because they the teachers know I'm a maths teacher and yeah. then they think that I that will that will of have course. and I don't know how to support my children because it's so out of my comfort zone um, and it's such a skill to teach oh, those those Absolutely. fundamental ideas and as I say and I, people th I, I always say this in primary conferences and people think it's me sucking up to primary teachers and it partly is but also at the same time <laughs> what the thing is it's a skill and they're doing the same for English and oh, yeah. science Amazing. Oh, oh, well, I could not, never do it I can you never do it pay me to do it. you no. could not pay me that to do it that is a very hard job so it was a fascinating session because she talked about Ruth talked about the, the, this blocking but she made a few points that really hit home for me so what, you're going to love this Joe she asked the question, what is a topic? So when we look at schemes of work, we break them down into topics. Mm -hmm. So what actually is a topic? So she took the, the idea of mental subtraction. You think, okay, that sounds like a topic. Right. Uh, if anything, quite a specific topic, because you could imagine that would be, certainly for secondary, if it's going to appear anywhere on a scheme of work, it's going to be as mental arithmetic or, yeah. or just arithmetic or yeah. something like that. But she said, you know, it seems perfectly valid to have a mental subtraction as a topic. And then she gave us four calculations to do. So listeners, pen and paper at the ready here. 121 takes 78. You don't have to do this long. Are we doing are they doing people doing this in their heads? Or yeah, they, um, in heads. In heads yeah. right, so okay. 121 takes 78. That was the first one. Uh, then it was 121 take 59. That was the second one. Then it was 121 take 4. And then it was 121 take 20. And the point was here that you would use four completely different strategies to answer each Absolutely, of those. Yeah. And teaching it as a topic 
is probably going to confuse these kids. Whereas in fact, they kind of, well, what I took away from this is that they need isolating as much as anything needs isolating and then bring it back together. So I love this because again, it's a different world for me. 121 takes 78. She described the strategy for that as shopkeeper's arithmetic, essentially counting up from 78 to get to 121. Absolutely. And she said that that leads to far fewer errors right. than if kids try to do it either mental subtraction or write it out as columns and try and do the borrowing right. and carrying yeah. and stuff like that. So shopkeepers arithmetic, I love that. 121 take 59, she described as a nearly number calculation. So uh, consider it as 121 take 60, yeah. but then you've got the issue of then do I add one or yeah. take one away? And then I love this, because this is again a different world for me. She said the way, the way she teaches it, she's teaching year four at the moment, is to imagine 121 things and think about whether it's fair or not if someone takes 60 of them off you. Right. And if it's not fair, you need to get one back. Right. So I thought that was quite yeah. nice. She said 121 take four, you need to know your number bonds to 20 and also to be able to partition four to be able to do that. Right. And finally, 121 take 20 is actually a place value calculation that as long as you know what that two and 20 stands for, you don't need to use the other strategies. You can just take that two and 20 off the two in 121 and end up with I feel like she's read my mind even though that is obviously exactly yeah, the strategy exactly. as I just right, used right, right. it's amazing it's almost as if she's an expert <laughs> yeah <actually>. <laughs> it, was, it was phenomenal and, a point, and the thing I was thinking to myself is that I would consider all as subtraction and I never really thought about that they are completely different yeah. things so her point was that she would teach them separately um, and then um, kind of bring them all back together and the, whenever she's talking about bringing them all back together, immediately to, uh, for me, it, it's thinking about um, examples and non-examples and variations and so on. So presenting maybe eight different subtractions and saying which one, which ones of these would you use nearly number or mm -hmm. which one of these would you use shopkeeper arithmetic right. or something like that. Because, and I love this, I wrote this down, I've, put, I've got a little star system here and this one got three stars because wow. I love this. She said, um, teaching for understanding involves choosing a strategy. We need to teach students so they can make decisions. Making decisions is much harder to teach than just teaching a skill because we need to, the students need to know when to use the skill. Right. Because we could teach kids how to do each of those four subtraction yeah. strategies, but then unless they know how to identify which one to use when, yeah. it's a waste of time yeah. and they fall back onto this. So, I mean, I'm still kind of processing this in my head, but it, it made me think about our kind of key stage three and four schemes of work. How many of those topics are actually, we think are specific things, but actually will benefit more from being broken down mm -hmm. in, the, in the nature of this. And again, it makes me think of deliberate practice, isolating skills, yeah. hammering them, bringing them back together, but then also focusing on this decision-making. Because mm -hmm. I think decision-making is certainly something I haven't taught well mm -hmm. enough. And I'm banging on about this, but this may be my last thing I'm going to say about this, is a classic example for this would be something like adding fractions. Yeah. Where... I would focus all my attention on, right, get the lowest common denominator, make sure you do the right thing to the numerator, and then remember when you add them together, don't add the two denominators. All my focus will be on that. But before they even get to that, kids have got to decide um, what form the fractions need to be in to be added. They then need to make a decision um, about how they're going to carry it through and a decision as to what the lowest common multiple um, is going to be. And unless we teach the kids how to make those decisions and do it by presenting them examples where they that decision works versus examples where they don't need to make that decision, 
we're kind of taking that for granted because we make those decisions without thinking about it too much. And it comes back to curse of knowledge. And yeah, it just, it really got me thinking that topics need breaking down as much as possible, but then bringing back together with a focus on decisions. Mm -hmm. Does that make, does that make any it kind does, of sense whatsoever? Yeah. You may, it's, it's really interesting about the um, adding fractions and finding the lowest common denominator because I remember, I must have been at primary school, when, when you first meet the, the phrase lowest common denominator, mm. and it's such a mouthful and it's so oh, complicated. Yeah, I, yeah. I just remember it, it stood out as something I'd learned in maths primary school that seemed to be a very complex, because it was just such long words. Yes, and, yes. And, and I think about it, it's like, they don't have to find the lowest common denominator. You know, any denominator will do as long mm. as it's the same denominator. Um, and actually, if they don't find the lowest, lowest common denominator, then they can still do it, and they can just simplify at the end. Um, and it's just it's something I've been thinking about when I teach yeah. fractions. Like, why do I really need to insist that they find exactly. lowest common denominator? Or can important? I just say, we just need the same units here. We just need that denominator yes. to be... So we need an equivalent fraction. We need two fractions that have the same denominator so we can add them because we need those units to be the same. And using our knowledge of equivalent fractions, we're going to find... We're going to turn these into two fractions that yes. have the same denominator. Um, and that's and that's something that I next time I get the opportunity to teach um, adding fractions, I'm going to really think about whether I'm going to use the phrase lowest common denominator, or whether I'm just going to talk about getting the units to be the same, and then if you need to simplify at the end, then do. Yeah, but there's, there's an efficiency thing. I, there is. No, you're right. And I'm going to go one stage further, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, and because Chris Bolton gave me the idea of this, even the language. How important is it that kids know what a denominator is? Because what what Chris Bolton says is. If when you're trying to teach, and this is controversial, people are going to flip and hate this, but I'm just yeah. going to say it. If when you're teaching something, uh, like a process like adding fractions together, if kids have to pause um, and think, what do what does he mean by denominator? Yeah. Is that the top or is that the bottom yeah. of the fraction? That is taking up kind of working memory capacity. Yeah. And that is making it less likely that they're going to be able to successfully carry the process through. And it goes back to what we've kind of talked about here, that... The use of correct mathematical language is a separate skill from mm -hmm. carrying out the process. And yet I bundle it all together. Yeah. So I'm teaching them a process whilst at the same time chucking all this new language mm -hmm. to them. Um, so for me, that language can come in at the very, very end or, or be a completely separate skill that's taught at the start before we go near yeah. any kind also, of Also, if it's taught at the start, then they won't have to think about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. It becomes automated yeah. before we go anywhere near the yeah. process. But I used to... And it, another one for you, Joe, is... Um, technical terms for, for angles so like mm. if kids say to me z angles i'm like no no you can't say yeah. z angles you can't say z angles but that like it's it's a hard enough skill them trying to flip and figure out where the z angle is and then mm -hmm. remember that z angles alternate angles are equal but then to think z angle was that the alternate yeah. corresponding criteria yeah. and again do we need to give them that burden or can we absolutely get them confident about getting labeling the angles remembering that they're the same and then completely separately yep. getting them relating the shape of the angle to the name of it and then bring it back together yeah. at the end whereas i've been guilty in the past of trying to do two things at the Absolutely. same time and i talked about i thought about that so much last year i did um uh, some sessions on angles and i was talking about how teaching angles thinking about it in depth before you teach it and i said that i'm going to teach it totally differently next time going to do numbers first going to do loads of questions where i'm not doing any reasons yes. going to make sure they can figure out the numbers get them right every time 
but I do have to annoyingly teach them those reasons because the exams require them. Of course. But, um, you know, that, that I'm going to deal with later. So yeah, I'm going to get exactly. them confident yeah, in the numbers and, and the sort of concept of why those numbers are the same. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I agree. So I think I think that's that's interesting, although you're right. I think there's a bit of overload going on with all the keywords, the new words coming at the same time as the new concepts and then teaching. Something to think about, isn't it? Um, and the final, final thing I was going to say, it goes back to our favourite topic. It's kind of the, the, the topic of Bick Me. Uh, brick, oh Jesus. Oh. oh, it's never going to catch on if I am <laughs> Brick Me. Um, is manipulative because it, it did find its way back in just at the end. Okay. Um, and it reminded me that I forgot to read a quote yesterday um, uh, about it. So the point that Ruth was making here is that, um, and this is fascinating, you're going to love this. This is the perils again of being a, of being a, a primary maths teacher. So years one to three, you introduce place value with cubes, right? So little unit cubes represent one. The little kind of uh, column of ten. Oh yes, so my daughter tens. draws these when yeah, she's working yeah, things cool. out. Yeah. And then the grid yes. will be hundreds, 100, right? Yeah. And Ruth was saying kids get really comfortable at this, doing mm. addition, subtraction, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Brilliant. And then she said one day they walk into year four. And they're told, right, today we're going to learn about decimals. And all of a sudden, these ones represent kind of uh, tenths. Um, yeah. Or, 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 or uh, and the, the column represent um, hundredths instead of hundreds. And it's like, whoa, what the flipping heck's going on uh. here? And it really related back to what I was talking about in my misconception session. Because I showed a, a, a question um, about the, the, it was like 200.526. And you had to say which number was in the hundredths column. Right. And it was like 27% of the kids got it right. And it's no surprise, right? Because it's, it's really confusing. And when you think about like decimals, what we call them, it's flipping confusing. Yeah. But, but Ruth's point was, they get really comfortable with these manipulatives for representing one thing. They yeah. get tied to that. And then all of a sudden, they have a different meaning. Yeah. And it almost becomes quite counterproductive. So Ruth's point here um, was that... Um, you've got to be con- you've got to be consistent with your use of things. You've got to adopt kind of a, a whole school approach to mm-hmm. this and think if I'm going to be using these in year one and two, is it going to have uh, uh, implications for kind of year f- five and six? Yeah. But it goes on to a wider point, and I'm just going to dig this quote out here from this manipulative session. Now, forgive me here because I didn't write down uh, the 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 source of this quote, but it was uh, it was in the, the National STEM Centre thing. What do you think of this, Joe? I'm just going to read it straight out. Okay, here right. Many teachers that I have worked with over the course of the last year have been confused about what, manip- about what manipulatives to use in specific contexts. And I've seen quite a bit of practice where one specific manipulative might appear to teach a given concept and then disappear never to be seen again in the classroom. For children, this can make the practical apparatus rather mystifying and encourage them to think each manipulative has a specific function in relation to a specific task. Now, that's interesting because it's it's almost kind of the opposite of the point that Ruth's making, mm. where what's better to have one manipulative that really works and does something really, really well and mm. not use it again, or have something that's quite versatile that can be used for a lot of topics, but then can use it can, can lead to confusion. Mm. And it made me think of the bar model. It really made me think of the bar model because I tend to use bar model for very specific ratio questions, mm-hmm. but I don't go near it for kind of solving equations right. like some like I know some people do. Yeah. But my kids then associate bar modeling with ratio, but not anything else. And I've 
made that conscious decision because I think it's very, very useful for that specific thing. And I think if I start introducing it for other things, like I know people use it for reverse percentages yes. and all that kind of stuff, maybe then it's going to lead to confusion. But I don't know. Have you, have you any any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, I, um, I'm quite new to bar modelling myself. So like you say, I use it for ratio questions. And in fact, um, found it very powerful when I first started using it recently for a group of students who struggled with ratio. And I introduced the bar model. And my God, they get it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like really, powerful, really powerful. Right? Um, but no, I've not. I, I, I always think with the solving equations thing, it looks like it's pretty good for that. Um, but no, I, I wonder if there's any. I don't know. I think that's uh, something to think about. I mean, what you've said there about the ones, that's interesting, isn't it? They use, they use kind of, when, when my daughter draws these calculations in her book and she does little sticks for tens and little dots for ones. You can't get smaller than the dot. And yeah, that's interesting, really interesting. Like, I never thought of that. But then it makes sense, right? <laughs> They've got this apparatus, so let's now use it for decimals. But yeah. that's got to be confusing for kids. Right? Now, don't, I may have got this completely wrong, but that was, that was definitely the yeah, way I was Yeah, I'd be interested to know how, they, how exactly. they deal with it. Yeah. But then I was thinking, how on earth would I try? Imagine trying to introduce decimals for the first time to kids. I don't know what I'd do. I don't know. That's why I'm not primary. <laughs> we don't have to worry about it. We don't but, have to I mean, it was interesting. My, I was looking at some of my daughter's stuff the other day, and it was about subtraction, and it said the biggest number always has to go first. Oh, that's that's and, dangerous. And yeah, it is dangerous, isn't it? And it's it's really interesting when I look at some of the stuff she does. Fantastic stuff um, in maths at school, like amazing. What age is she? Um, she's six. Six. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just that that's the first time I've seen something, and I was like, wow, well, let mummy tell you about this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, let me know our decimals. Yeah, yeah I'll be interested. I don't know when be, they introduce yeah, it or what year they do that. But um, what I find interesting with my daughter is that to me she hasn't she struggles like my three-year-old seems to be all over the maths like really really strong already but whereas my um, six-year-old really struggles like she is finding a lot of things really hard and um, stuff that she meant to have mastered a year ago she still struggles with it and now they're saying she needs to learn sometimes tables um, yeah, I don't think she's got addition sorted. Right. Um, okay. And so I, and, and then, then this is really hard because I can't say to the school, mm. are you sure she should be doing times tables when she doesn't have the concept of addition? And I can see she doesn't from when I talk to her about it. Um, but, you know, they, they know more than I do about this. So, yes. um, but it's really interesting seeing um, the things she struggles with. And, and I try and do all the manipulatives at home. I don't do much in my teaching, but I definitely do them at home because... Yeah, it's just so so obvious that I should be doing them with a six year old. Um, but she, yeah, she really finds it hard to to grasp the concepts, um, and even to the point where I can say, uh, "What's one more than eighty nine? And she should know that, but still, sometimes she will not get one like that. I mean, that's right. that's me asking a tricky one. Yeah, one, yeah. one more than eighty seven, she'll Fine. know, but one more than eighty nine, she sometimes gets that wrong. And for then to say, "Oh, she's on times tables now," when yeah. she can't get that, I think that's really interesting. So I think. And I think it's like, so I'm seeing maths teaching for the first time from a parent's perspective. Mm. And there's a lot of parents at primary now getting frustrated that their, their very bright children aren't being accelerated. Whereas I'm at the other end saying, well, to me, she hasn't got the concepts sorted. Like, and, and so why is she moving on to the next topic? Um, but I guess I do that with students all the time. Yes. You know, I've got students who haven't, haven't got that bit and I'm moving on to something else. And that's just, you know, you've got, that's how teaching has to work just in a practical sense, I suppose. I don't know, it's just really interesting. So, yeah, it was, yeah, it's an absolutely fascinating yeah. world that I, I need to know more about. So, Joe, what I'm going to do, I'm going to top your drink up whilst you start talking <laughs> you. about the, I should say, listeners, we're on one more wine here. We've, we've kind of planned out that this yeah. was going to be our wine at, wine at five o'clock. <laughs> exactly, a little relaxed podcast because we've, uh, yeah, we've had a busy couple of days. So, Joe, tell us about... You. Uh, you're out of bed at this point, right? Yes, I mean, so I've done, I done my 
session and I'm all relaxed. And then, um, yeah, I, uh, then I went to a fantastic session by um, Nikki Gupta, or Gupta, sorry, I don't know her name, from um, Market... So her website is market.education. Now, I, her session was called Problem Solving in A-Level Maths. And then she did another session afterwards on misconception and A-level maths. Um, and we didn't all have to stay the second session, but everyone in the room did because her first session was fantastic. And um, I have, I've mentioned um, her site on my blog twice before. Once I mentioned a fantastic blog post she wrote about, um, she called it blind spots in the new A-level. And then I've also talked on my blog about how her website market has really um, high quality A-level questions on it. They're really, okay. really good. What's the website? One more time. Mar- so it's market as in Mark IT. Oh, market. Yeah. And then ed- dot education. Market um, dot education. And I will be blogging a bit more about this um, after, uh, after the conference. Um, and now what she said is, so she was a A-level teacher. She noticed that a lot of her students were going and watching videos as their support. And that's what my students do. They love exam solutions, for example. They're always on there watching videos if they get stuck. And she says that actually what she sees that students are doing and when she talks to them about what they do is they'll go and watch a video and then they think they've got it. Yes. And they don't then go and do loads of practice on it. And she said that she thinks that given how much problem solving there is, particularly in a new A-level, that she thinks that A-level videos aren't the solution. That is not the way to support students. So she's made this website which does support students. And it is actually brilliant. And the thing is, I've had a play with it before, but she demonstrated it today. Um, and I hadn't seen the bit she demonstrated. And it's really clever. Um, and she, apparently she's got some GCSE stuff on there as well, which I will have a look at after the conference. And what it is, is, is you bring up an A-level question. You can set a student's task. You can set quite a lot for free. And then once you've extended your sort of free use, sorry, once you've um, used all your free use of it, you can get a subscription, which is £15 per student per year. Okay. Um, but you can use quite a lot for free. And that, that's not bad, actually. I right? think that's pretty decent, yeah. If, especially if you're thinking... Uh, for an A-level class teacher, that's actually... It, it could be all their homeworks for the entire year. Right, okay. That's, uh, and that's I think that's cool. quite good. Okay. And then, um, and so let's say, there's this, say there's a question, um, quite a hard question, that's say a 12 marker, and it's it's unstructured, and then what happens is they, they can either just do the question and then, and then see if they got it right, or they can do like a guided, like a step-by-step thing, where the, it will say, so what's the first step here? And then it gives three options. Uh, so it's kind of like multiple choice, but they're very cleverly written. Yes. The student will, will choose their option. If they get it wrong, they get given some kind of, yep. well, you need to think about this. And then, and then if they get it right, then it moves on to the next step. And it talks them through, say, creating a diagram of the question. It's very cleverly done. And actually, I've not seen anything like this before. Um, and I think it's I think it's lovely. Like, and I like I said, I've seen it before, but when she showed it today, I was super impressed by this. And it's something that I can see is gonna. I think it's gonna be quite a big deal at A level. Um, so just, I, just on that, Joe, because this is interesting, because this comes in the same week that Uplearner finally launched their math stuff. Yes. So it's an exciting time for for A level because I, again, I, I've been teaching A level for years now, and, and you, you similar, Joe. There's not been a brilliant A-level product, has there? Like, no. There's not been a Hegarty Maths. Or, yeah, and I've know. always said I'd like to see a Hegarty Maths A-level, but, you know, he's still writing GCC content, so that's a long way off. And do you get a sense that this is... Well, is yeah, I mean, it's very different. It's a very different kind of thing. What she likened it to, and, it was, and she was right, was she was saying that it's like tutoring an A-level student and it's like sitting next to them. And it's and it's basically saying right. what the tutor would say. So it's better than watching a video okay. because they're getting... It is, it is like a conversation yeah, and it was yeah, yeah. it's really cleverly done. Now, I haven't seen Up Learning yet. I know you've, you've had a look. Um, and I... 
Um, I, I, is that for, I mean, basically a student will, will pay and go on it and it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, yeah so it's, it's not, a, it's not a tool for a school, correct. yeah. Um, so, so I think there's, there's some really good things happening for A-level and I think the new A-level has been a good opportunity for companies to say, here, you know, there's a new A-level, let's set something up for the new A-level. So it's been a, and she talked a lot about the changes to A-level and that's really interesting. She talked about, um, she showed us some examples of questions she'd written and there were some really good questions, <laughs> really, really lovely A-level questions that she let us have a go at and I really enjoyed that. And they were, they were fantastic and I, again, I'll blog about some of these because they were really good. She talked about... Um, how problem solving, I love this, problem solving is knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. And I think that's a oh, lovely definition like of problem that. solving. Like knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. So basically seeing something and you, and you don't know how to solve it, but knowing how to go about solving yeah, it or how to get started. Good, I like that. Um, and then she talked about um, how she's been to, to CPD sessions apparently at King's College Math School. And I didn't know this. And she says they're amazing for A-level teachers. So I'm going to go and look into these. Oh, yeah. And she talked a lot about stuff that she'd learned at those CPD sessions. Um, and she talked about different types of student and different types of misconceptions. And there was just, there was, oh, she talked about sources of challenging questions that have A-level content but are not A-level questions. So she talked about things like um, university entrance papers and where to oh, find them right. and how we can use those questions because they <clears throat> don't have anything that, that isn't on the A-level spec. Of spec-ed. course, yes. But um, they're really good challenging questions. So she showed us examples of those and they were brilliant. Can you remember any particular, uh, not questions themselves, but universities to, to try Well, I mean, I, I tweeted a link earlier, uh, sorry, a picture of the list she shared and it was, um, well, she talked about map papers, TMUA papers. So these are just sort of... Um, she talked about AEA, which uh, oh, I can't remember what that stands for, but these are all stuff that, that people that are involved in getting students through Oxbridge tests yes. will recognise these. And I think I saw your tweet, so I'll, I'll just copy that yeah. picture and put it on the And on she talked about IYGB papers, which are the, um, that's actually, IYGB sounds something rude, so I can't possibly say that now. I'll tell you later. Um, IYGB? Yeah, yeah, I can't say that now. Um, but <laughs> um, it's... Give me one of the words. If. It's just totally inappropriate. Um, that didn't come up in the quiz last night. <laughs> um, okay, there'll be some people that know this and they'll be laughing. But it's on. They're on a website called Maddus Maths. Oh, sorry, MaddusMaths.com. Oh yeah, that's um, good. and that's um, Professor Maddus, and he writes very challenging A-level style papers and they're brilliant. He's amazing and that's M-A-D-A-S. Yeah. yeah, he's um, Yeah, and, those, and so she, talk, she talked about those as well and so she was showing some nice... And the, the thing is that she's talking about all these ways of finding questions and meanwhile she is spending a lot of time writing good quality right. questions. So she's saying that the, she's using these for inspiration um, and, and the questions that she's writing are fantastic and in fact I have used one of her questions with my uh, A-level class recently and it was a really lovely question where they had to understand the choose thing. So you know when you're teaching binomial expansions and you say that n choose r yes. is n factorial over r factorial or n minus r factorial. Yep. Um, and you can just, if you're doing six choose two, you just use a calculator button. Yep. So you do six choose two, got the number. But she showed a lovely question where you have to know what the choose uh, thing means. And it, and it was like a proof question. And I gave it to my students and some of them got it and some of them made good progress on it. And it was a lovely question. And are these, just going, thinking what we talked about Simon Singh yesterday, is this aimed at the top end of A-level? Or no, are these questions no. For all well, actually, questions? someone mentioned that because someone says, you know, this all seems to be, you know, these are like unstructured 12-mark mm. questions. But the way the website breaks it down is going to be necessary for anyone taking right. 
A-level. Okay. I mean, the new A-level is, you know, they say it's not harder. It, it is. Anything with less structure is harder. Um, and I think she, so she was saying, it kind of seems like hard stuff, but this is stuff that anyone doing A-level now needs to be able to right, do. Right, okay. Um, so it was, um, it's worth looking, and I, like I said, I'm going to blog about this because when I saw the demonstration, even though I've mentioned this website before, I now really need to like make sure everyone knows about this because it was fantastic. Um, and then it was, and, and the common mistakes she showed us were were really interesting. And, and you know, she she showed, she talked about oh, she talked about a book that she recommended, Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah. Do you, have you read that? Oh yeah. Is One that, of my really favourites. <laughs> oh yeah. When I'm chatting um, about podcast takeaway day one, we're talking about framing the way how you say. 99% of students haven't committed crimes. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a lot better than 1% yes. have. Yeah. So that's all Kahneman and Traversky's work. So Thinking Fast and Slow is Daniel Kahneman's right, yes. book. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Oh, so she, phenomenal. She, she talked a lot about that. And then she talked about different types of mistakes, like technique mistakes, thinking mistakes. What, what, was, she's, what was her link with Thinking Fast and Slow? Because she was talking about how some of the mistakes students are making because their minds are kind of naturally lazy. Ah, right, and yes. instinct can be a dangerous right. thing. And she, but she was saying that thinking slow is a learnable skill. So she was saying that, you know, some of the mistakes you see students making are because they haven't thought about it. Yes. Whereas some things are um, a technique mistakes, which are easier to fix. And some things are what she called validation uh, mistakes or where they just they are answering something that they think is the question. And she talked about different types of mistakes, but that she was she really recommended that book. She said okay. that and any, like, any specific examples of any mistakes that kind of really struck you or stood out? To you? Um, I mean, I mean, actually, the mistakes that she I mean, she showed us. She just showed us the made up. You know what she's going to do? She's going to share the slides, and then I'm going to blog all about this. Fine, because it was, I mean, like for example, with validation mistakes, it was just things like where the question says find the coordinates, and they just find x and don't find y. So that's yeah. like a, an obvious mistake that's that's really. She said it's not mathematical, and and to, not, to stop doing that, it's a discipline rather than a skill. So to stop making those silly mistakes where you don't fully answer the question, she said that she calls that exam technique. Whereas the thinking stuff, that's the hard one where they're just not thinking. Um, properly, and I can't remember. She gave us a great example, and I can't remember what it was, but it was okay. fantastic. Well, she's going to share the slides. She's going to share the slides, yes. Um, and then, and then anyway, her sort of final thing from this session was she talked about sort of strategies, um, and she says, she said, and I like this. She said to find good questions to give your A level students, find questions that. So I should look for questions that freak me out, and I know it will freak my students out too. So if I find something, it was like you were saying with that that um, the graph activity. If I find something that that I find hard then they're going to find it hard too. As long as it's within the spec, then it's reasonable for me to give it to them. And then they can see me thinking about mm. it and I talk to them about my thinking and I can say, yeah, I found this one really tough and I can talk about my way into it. She gave me a question that I couldn't do. <laughs> and it was really interesting because um, it, I'm, I'm so annoyed. In fact, I'll just say what this question was. I tweeted it as well. It was um, x to the power of 4 minus 4x cubed plus x, 4x squared minus 10 equals 0. So it was a quartet. Say that one more time. So it's x to the power of 4 yep. minus 4x cubed plus 4x squared minus 10 equals 0. Okay. And the question is, how many real roots does it have? Mm. Now, I went into that by trying to use the factor theorem to find a factor. Got it. Yeah, and then yeah, I yeah. thought I could do a division. And, what could go wrong? And then I thought, well, it's got... Um, and I, you know, I, I thought about it a bit. I thought it's got a negative 10 at the end. So if it's going to factorise, then I should try a 1, a 2, and a 5. That'd be yeah. the obvious choices. Sure, this is sounding good. Yeah, I thought so. And then anyway, basically, it, I didn't get anywhere because none of those numbers worked. So there are no integer factors. Doesn't mean there are no real roots. There are just no integer factors. So, and I looked, and I, someone in the room got it, but the rest of us were like, could you just tell us? And then, and then she said that 
she spent half an hour on this and then she went to Wolfram Alpha to find out how to do it. Yeah. So it's nice to hear her admitting that oh, she... Oh, yeah. And, it, and it's just so annoying. If you differentiate it, you can find the stationary points, do a sketch of the graph, and you know how many real roots it's got. I can do that. Nice. I didn't even think of it. And, and that's yes. what makes that a great question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Because that is a skill that your students have got, um, but they just wouldn't have thought to do it. And the reason they wouldn't have thought to do it is because the question said, how many real roots? Now, when I see real roots, I think discriminant. Mm -hmm. But then I think, well, it's a cortic, and I don't mm -hmm. know how to do a discriminant for a cortic. Um, and then I think, right, well, I'm going to have to try and find mm -hmm. those roots. But no, I don't. I just need to know what the graph looks like. And I don't know what cortics look like, but I can differentiate and I can get some turning points. That's I thought that was really nice. So, you know, she sort of questions like that, um, where she was saying that these, she was basically giving us questions that were all kind of within the, within like the remit of A-level, um, but just harder. I'll tell you what, I'm going to, it's almost as if we planned this joke. So I'm, I'm almost, I'm going to relate this back to something we were chatting about um, earlier on with the primary thing. Because you'd imagine that real roots, you would treat as a kind of subtopic, that's a skill to teach kids, just like mental subtraction is a mm. skill to teach kids. But in different scenarios, they need different skills there, right? Mm -hmm. Because in some, they're going to rely on discriminant. Yeah. In some, it's going to be sketching. So yeah. again, it's one thing teaching the kids the skills, but then it's making sure they have experience of distinguishing between when they need to use each skill versus yeah. another skill. Well, I'm, really I'm guilty of saying to my A-level students that when they see yeah, the word yeah, yeah. real roots, it's a discriminant correct, question. Correct, correct. And, and most of the time it works. Yeah, right? and the new A-level isn't quite like that. It's not going to yeah, let us do yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. whole point was, she was saying, the new A-level, it's not predictable. And, yeah. we're, and we're so used to having the comfort of a predictable yes, A-level where course. I can say, I can pretty much... She talked about the harmonic form. You know the R cause and the R yeah, sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she talked about how how those questions were so bankers, predictable before. You, you know, Correct. and the, stu to do the students find it hard, but you can tell them exactly what's going to be in the yeah, exam. Yeah, yeah. And she shows an ex a really good example where the, the harmonic form part of it, the R part of it, was squared. And it was saying, find the minimum of this. It was something like two plus, and then it had that R bit and, and it was squared. And the thing is that you can't put the negative R value mm. in there because then it becomes, so it has to be a zero in there to mm. make it minimum. And I, it was really, um, and I thought I, I would probably make that mistake. And and her, so her questions she's written are so good. It's interesting. I like your criteria there. Questions that freak you out. Yeah, that's yeah, nice. that I was really that, nice. And again, and I like the point you made there that it's important that kids see you thinking. Yeah, and because she, if yes. you're just on automatic pilot yeah. doing it, they don't learn a great as much about the thinking process. Absolutely. They don't learn about where you struggle yeah. in it and where they need yeah. to. Yeah, and so and she stuff. said, share your pain. And I think when she went through that question with the quartic and. And she said she spent half an hour on it and looked it up um, and she said that she hated that question but also loved it yeah. and then you feel that sense of relief that my students must feel when I struggle yes. and that I'm sitting there thinking I'm in a conference session right now I can't do this I'm an experienced A-level teacher this is a bit embarrassing I'm sitting there thinking everyone else around me was frantically writing yes. and I'm thinking whoa everyone's doing this and then she said she found it hard and I was like what a relief I'm not I'm not an yes. idiot this yes. was a hard question and then um, but the thing is I tweeted the question and someone's replied with a totally different method, which is really interesting. Oh, and then okay. I think, so like, I think it's one of those things where, you know, everyone comes at these from different angles. But the point is that if I know other, some other people are struggling, then it makes me feel better. So that's it helps students to know too. And that's, it, is, it goes back to subject knowledge, doesn't it? Because um, we've got in our school some fantastic A-level teachers. And I remember teachers who've taught me and some of the best A-level teachers are the ones with the amazing subject knowledge. You can mm -hmm. give a question to and they just know how to yeah. do it like that. But also, 
the great teachers are the ones who can still remember or figure out where kids struggle. Yeah. And you don't, it's, it's, it's difficult. To, like key stage three, it's hard to share the pain of kids. Yes. Because I can still think it, like there's still topics I can't do at key stage three. This is terrible to admit, but the visual things I can't spot. And I'll talk about this in the book. Like if it's a 3D Pythagoras question, I'm just guessing where they're flipping at this right angle triangle is. I don't have a clue. So I can share their pain there. But a linear equation, when I'm saying, oh, I find this tough, I don't know how convincing it is, because I flipping love a linear equation, mm -hmm. and the kids are knowing it. But at A-level, yeah, I think there's a massive advantage. If you find something difficult, telling the kids yes. you find it difficult and why you find it difficult is different. The mistake I think I used to make was saying to kids, I don't like this. Mm. And that's different, right? It's yeah. saying, I find this hard. It's yeah. not because I don't like it, it's just hard. Yeah. But let's think this through together. And yeah, together. and I think particularly, in say, say you get to see four integration, which I, um, for the first three years I taught it, I kind of lived in fear of them mm. asking me one I couldn't oh, do. Yeah, correct. Um, and now I'm so much more confident in it, but sometimes they'll ask me one and it will take me uh, like a little while to just get the right method. Um, and that's fine because I think because I feel more confident that um, that I really know what I'm doing. So if I'm finding it hard, then it's because um, that, and that's fine. So if if you know at first when I started teaching it, I guess I knew my subject knowledge could have been better on Ooh, it. Yeah. Um, but now I know my subject knowledge on C4 integration is great. Um, but if they give me a question that I find hard, I know that I'll get there and they can see me struggle and yeah. they'll see me say, give me a minute, I'm going to try something yeah. here, it might not work, and they can see me try yeah, it and yeah, I'll say, yeah. actually, bear with me, I've just gone down the wrong route there. And I think that's good for them to I see agree. that. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'll tell you what, Joe. this this links in well to what the session I was in because talk about being out of my comfort zone and feeling pain. I was in agony. <laughs> because, so I'm in, to, I don't know if you've heard of John Burke. Would that be a name that rings I, I about? I don't know ring about. I don't know why. So, John contacted me about probably five years ago now to say that he'd written a series of activities called um, Something in Common. Now, the name of John's session was Different Problems, Same Answer, but it's, it's the same principle. And I shared them on my website. Um, and then about two years ago, um, he sent me an updated version, so I, I put them all on my website, and they're on there now. Um, and basically, the idea behind these are, they are uh, problems that you give out to kids that all test the same skill, but whose answers are either identical or have got something in common. And they are, I'll tell you now, Joe, they're fascinating, but I'll also tell you they're flipping hard. <laughs> so so um, I'll, I'll just give you the rationale behind these and then I'll describe a couple and I'll put links on the, on the show notes page. So he says one obvious benefit here is it means that students can't copy off each other because everyone's got a different problem. Right. But either the answers all, all come out to be the same. Right. Or there'll be a key feature of the problem that means John as the teacher when he's wandering around can look at the problem and immediately know what the answer's going to be, right, if that I see. makes sense. So they're all, they're not just random, random problems. But, so I'll give you an example first and then I'll dig deeper into this. <laughs> he dishes out this one. Now the embarrassing thing here is, I've got this problem on my website, right? It's been there for five years. So I'm thinking, right, this will be fun. I've never actually done it. And he has, um, I'm going to try. He sent a link where you can get all these problems. And he's got them all resourced. Each one's got a PowerPoint, mm. a PDF. Most of them have got interactive GeoGebra files. They're oh, flipping nice. amazing. Right. Um, I've definitely got the link, but I've got it as a QR code. But I'm going to try and figure out a way to get it on the podcast page. Fantastic. So listeners, if it's not on there tonight, it will be on there soon. I'll, I'll figure out a way to get it. So he does this one. I'm just going to show it to you Joe and I'll put this on there it's called trapeziums and diagonals and, it, and it's it's basically a picture of a trapezium 
Um, and this trapezium, how would you describe that? The kind of opposite corners have been joined up by diagonal lines. So it's a kind of conventionally shaped trapezium with a parallel line at the top and a parallel line at the bottom. And then the um, opposite corners have been joined by diagonals. So you've essentially got the trapezium broken up into four sections, would you say? And kind of the top section has got an area of 13 and a half. The bottom, sorry, the top triangle, 13 and a half. The bottom triangle has got an area of 66 and two thirds. And then you've got two triangles, one on the left, one on the right, that are labelled A and B. So and you're saying that's a conventional trapezium, and I'm thinking, but it's got, it's got this, the, the left-hand side's a... Oh, I'm sorry, when I meant conventional, I mean, I meant, um, or in terms of orientation. So you've got the parallel. Yeah, 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 so I just think that there must be some relevance of those right angles. Well, funny you should say that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the question was, given this, given that it's broken up into four triangles, 13 and a half, uh, 66 and two thirds areas of, um, and then you've got a section labelled A, a section labelled B, and the question is, what's the area of A and B? Okay. So I sat down at this. And I was on this table and there was um, a lady next to me. It was really interesting. Um, and the, the lady next to me, she's brilliant. So she, she sat down and she said, oh, I've just been to your misconception section. I thought it was really good, blah, blah, So I'm feeling great about myself here. She's like, I love all the stuff you do, brilliant. And I sat down and looked at this problem. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I looked to the right and she's away. She's scribbling things down. So I'm trying to catch a sneaky look at what she's, yeah. what she's doing. And she's, after about five minutes, um, she goes, right, oh, I've got my answer. What have you got? Um. And I was like, uh. <laughs> I said to me, I was, I'm really struggling. I said, it's either conference fatigue or I'm a bit kind of out of my depth here. But once again, I had that experience of being a kid yeah. and struggling. So that, that was really useful. But it was fascinating because I won't spoil the surprise for people, but A and B have a definite relationship that's, okay. um, that you can look at the values of that and say what A and B are going to be. And it uses mathematics that's available at GCSE and even possibly even key stage three math. And this is the kind of thing with each of each of John's problems here. So another it's probably one, similar triangles because everything is everything similar triangles. I wouldn't like to spoil <laughs> the surprise. <laughs> um, another one he did involve. This was really nice. Um, it was he said uh, he presented uh, each table with um, each person on the table with a different quadrilateral. Okay. And he said, I want you to join up the well bisect each of the sides oh, yes. and, and join up join up the sides. Yeah. But the way he done it was beautiful because. When you joined up each of the midpoints of the side, mm. you not only got a parallelogram, mm-hmm. everyone's parallelogram was absolutely identical I in every it. way. Whether you started with an original arrowhead, a rectangle or whatever. Yeah. Now this brings me to the point because for me there are two advantages of using problems like this. The first is, as John says, that you get... Um, students not copying off each other so everyone's not everyone's working on the same task which mm. i think is important but they've each got their own different version of yeah. the task so um, it's great it's great for that if kind of copying and stuff like that not even just copying but i've been there myself in, in a lesson and as a kid where the kid next to me's got an answer and once i've seen that answer yeah. i can't unsee yeah, it yeah. so you know so it's really really useful for that but also for me it's the essence of purposeful practice because Kids are practicing the key skill that you want. So in that first instance, it may have been something to do with angles. In the second one, it may be something to do with construction, yeah. loci, and so on. But then at the end of that, there's a question. Why have we all got the same? Why can you know the answers of A and B in that particular trapezium one? Why did all these fraction uh, calculations come out to be four, which was a later one? Yeah. Um, and it reminded me, Joe, of um, Anne Watson's... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Anne Watson's session, where... <laughs> yeah. 
you could kind of waste this because unless you follow it up with the question mm. why yeah. and unless you know why yourself and are willing to then discuss it yeah. and also unless the kids themselves are motivated to ask why you're wasting you kind of you're wasting the beauty of these activities because they're absolutely amazing you're getting all that important practice but then once you finish that, then the whole world's your oyster in yeah. terms of what you discuss. And honestly, Joe, the, the lady next to me, that she's dead smart, by the way. Like, if, if it was a maths quiz, we'd have her straight <laughs> on. Um, she was, uh, there was one of them. <laughs> where's, where's this one here? We had this one here. And it was, uh, it's called Letter Wheel. Oh, yeah. And, and listeners, basically, there's uh, one, five wheels. And there's what, they're all different diameters, all circular. And they're kind of like cogs. And as one turns, another one turns, which turns another, which turns another, which turns the fifth wheel. But they're all different. And essentially, the, the question here was, one of the wheels has diameter 480 millimetres. One's 245, one's 101, one's 209, one's 30. If you turn the first wheel 159 times, what flipping letter is showing oh on the on the fifth wheel, which has been divided up into letters? I looked at that, nearly burst into tears. Lady next to me, she's straight onto it, so really? she's working her way through. So, and as I say, she, she's dead. She, she's dead smart, and um, she was loving because what was beautiful about this is the questions have been carefully constructed in a way that all the answers are either the same or related, which then begged the question, how were those questions constructed? So once you'd done all the practice, it was then almost kind of looking behind the magician's curtain. How had John built those activities, which then involved a tremendous amount of maths? Because that, that um, quadrilateral one I was talking yeah, about there, yeah. that doesn't happen with every quadrilateral. No. What is it about those quadrilaterals that mean everyone will get an identical parallelogram? Yeah. I'll tell you what, Joe, the flipping brilliant. So yeah. these, he has this whole suite of activities, I think at least 60 of them, wow. uh, primary school up to A-level. Wow. And the way he has it organised, he has the minimum year group he would use them okay, with. Okay, that's helpful. And so on. Yeah. Uh, all got teacher notes and stuff. Right. Um, and they're, they're brilliant activities. Oh, so I can't look, so, I'm looking forward to seeing them. Yeah, that, yeah, I'm going to put a link to... Um, he has it in a Dropbox, and basically you open an Excel file, and that's hyperlinked to all the different yeah. activities. So I'm going to try and figure out a way to get them on there. Worst case scenario, his last version of them are all on my site, which I think has got like 45 of them, but he's done another kind of 15 oh, or so okay. since. So I'll, I'll link it's to It's funny, because you're saying, you know, the woman sitting next to me, she's, you know, she's so, she's she so clever. She was. She, she does, she probably does a lot of puzzles, and I don't spend much time doing mass puzzles. You know, yesterday, you were brilliant at cryptic crossword stuff. I was good You do cryptic crosswords and you and you were just straight on them and you got them all before you know you just straight away wrote down a load of answers to those and that, that and I'm looking at them thinking how on earth can you do that and it's just because you've done a lot of it and you've practiced it a lot and so you know she's probably done a lot of puzzles I am not great at puzzles like that but I could make myself great at puzzles like that yeah. by doing that makes, tons of them. <laughs> that makes me feel a bit better. But I, I, uh, thanks, Jack. But um, it was just, it was, again, interesting for me to experience what it's like to be a child next yes, to somebody it's a struggle, who's, yeah. who's, going, who's going through and, and but stuff. But I, I went to a session last summer. It was an ATMMA branch event in London. And we were doing a, a, a there's an activity called to the cross, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. lovely. Um, yeah. And I was really enjoying that um, because I was, because uh, I was, because I I like maths for a start, so and I was really enjoying just it. Just to describe that to listeners, if I, I've got the right one, you've got a cross shape that's made up of five squares. You've yes. got three three squares going vertically, yeah. and then two squares either side. So you've got five yeah. squares, 
to look like a cross and the idea is you've got to try and come up with different ways to divide it up into, into quarters. quarters yeah and everyone comes up something different it's and wonderful. it's interesting it's a lovely task um and and i was in really enjoying the task and then they they showed us um something and we were sort of saying how do we know it's a quarter or whatever and it was a really really tough one and i couldn't see it so it was up on the screen and i just couldn't see how we knew that was a quarter and i was sitting next to you know oxford you know really really clever maths genius person and she saw it straight away um and then and then she struggled to explain to me why it was a quarter um and and then and then i think a lot of people in the room started getting it and then the presenter moved on so i'm left thinking um i hate maths now mm, and you can see you can see why students yeah, to go yeah, and, yeah, to yeah. turn off maths because if the person next to you got it or most of the room gets it and you're and you're left with that kind of frustration of well could someone just slowly yeah. explain it to me um then i'll be okay and i won't hate maths but if we move on from this and i'm just left feeling stupid then that's really frustrating. And I think that's really interesting on, on the whole, the, why, I, why I'm a big fan of things like direct instruction and, and, and explaining very clearly, um, you know, I've given you all a go at this problem and now I'm going to go through very clearly how to do yes. it so that no one is left feeling like the, the, everyone else got it and they didn't. And I'm guessing you would take, you would prefer that, I guess the counter argument will, the, the child who's got it is going to feel frustrated that you're going through it and essentially slowing them down, but you take that any day of the week versus moving on without yeah. explaining it for the kids well, who were... Well, really to me, there was the challenge for the person next to me was the that, sh that she couldn't explain to me. Right, And so yes. there was a challenge there and they yeah, figuring yeah. out how to explain it to me. Um, I don't know, I think it's just, you know, we have all these students who hate maths and when you sit in a session, and be, me being someone that loves maths, and when I sit in a session and feel some frustration yeah, with the subject I love, yes. then you can put yourself in the shoes of the students a bit that's more. Very um, and it was just, you know, it kind of would have taken a minute just just for me to, to be out yes. of that situation. Yeah, that's very... And that's yeah. The other thing that struck me as well, so again, it's been a day for me of feeling like a student. Mm. It's been really useful. It's, uh, this is classic uh, growth mindset or my lack of growth mindset because he handed out a question um, and I've made very public the fact I'm useless at mechanics. I can't, te I can't do it. I can't teach it. Um, and I have a bitter argument with Mark McCourt about this because Mark McCourt would happily ban statistics and probability from the whole of the math curriculum. Yeah, lovely. I have whereas a stats I, degree. So. Whereas I absolutely love it. And probability is one of my favourite things in the world. Yes. Anyway, so what comes around is a I'll just show you Joe here. It's a, a picture of an it's an L shape. And the question says, using only a straight edge and a pencil, find the centre of mass of the plane and shape figure. <laughs> so I looked at that and I just thought, I'm not bothering with this one. I'm not bothering with this one. It was a clap because I thought I don't understand central yeah. mass. I don't know yeah. mechanics and stuff. But because you haven't got the, you haven't been taught, you know, I mean yes, I don't I don't know what that is because I've literally never been taught yeah, in my life. And what I think that I think that kind of reinforces my notion that growth mindset needs to be built on a foundation of success and knowledge. And, and knowledge, if, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, if I'd experienced yeah. success and I had knowledge about mechanics, yeah. I would hopefully feel more confident about giving a go at that. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, a kind of black cloud came over me and I yeah. just went on Twitter and was just kind of yeah. messing around there, which is terrible. But, but it also, it's all that argument of, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't get to, I don't give my students problems to solve on things I haven't taught them yet. Oh, yeah. You know, that they need that underlying knowledge. Because, I mean, I didn't study mechanics at A-level. I did a pure maths A-level, so no applied at all. Then I did stats at uni. So I've literally never studied mechanics in my life. 
I don't know that I can't do that problem, but only because I haven't got the knowledge. Yes. Um, and not because I'm stupid or I, or, or because I, you know, I, I'm not a mechanics person. Maybe I'd be great at mechanics. I've just yeah. never been taught it. Um, and you can't attempt problems unless you have the knowledge necessary. Yeah. So yeah, it was yeah, it was an absolute fa- absolute fascinating session. And as I say, I'm going to link to link to John's uh, resources as well. Mm, Watch okay, out so. for Joe's blog where she's going to blog about that. I will mm. talk in detail about mm. market. Education. Market.education, yeah. yeah. that would be superb. Right, so um, what we are, well, we're off to tonight. It's the conference dinner. Yes, now, this is a big is, deal. This, this is, is a big this deal. Is a thing, and it's yeah. a big deal for a specific reason. That myself and Joe both are big fans of the um, after dinner speaker, Hannah Fry. Um, now, Dr. Hannah Fry, I should say. Um, now, a <laughs> couple of things here. Joe is strate- oh, strategically <laughs> placed us. Uh, there's a table plan. And, and you've got to get in there early um, to kind of choose your table. So Joe was kind of camping out outside. Yeah, I was first there. I was first to get to the seating plan. Um, where are we sat? Where are we sat? <laughs> okay, yeah. so when I when I got to the seating plan, the, the the main table that Hannah Fry is sitting at is full of kind of you know important people at the conference, and so that that table was full. So we are on the next table. I love. I am in love with Hannah Fry. So I am gonna. I'm sitting in the seat as close as I can get to her, and we are right at the front on the table next to next to her. Um, and we have fantastic company on that table tonight. So and if you if you a plan of action because you you've history with Hannah Fry, like you you've had a photo, <laughs> you've had a chat, you've bonded. Well, last you... time I saw her, I embarrassed myself because I was so excited to see her. Um, so I, I tried to make conversation with her. Uh, and it involved me saying, oh, you're at UCL. I used to go to UCL. And I tried good. to find this thing in common with her. Yeah. Um, um, and then, and then, but then this was wonderful because it's actually was at the University of Warwick at the edXL conference two years ago. Hannah then did a session where she required someone in the audience to have a piece of paper, right. and then during the session she she read out some numbers. She no, she she predicted some numbers or something that was on the paper. I can't remember how it worked, but basically. It was me she chose to have the piece of paper. So obviously I still have that piece of paper with Hannah Fry's oh, writing Jesus. on it. Jesus, that's not coming out tonight, is it? <laughs> oh, no, God. but like, so I felt so special. Oh, God, I love her. I really love Hannah Fry. I'm so excited. This is a real highlight for me. But also the conference dinner is a really big deal. Um, so it's um, we can get dressed up and we get our one glass of wine with dinner, which is... Is that right? <laughs> yes. well, we've had a bottle here, so... <laughs> Um, and then um, you know early start tomorrow with sore heads I expect a couple of so, sessions yeah. Yeah, so our plan is tomorrow we're going to there's kind of two morning sessions and then me and Joe will record a quick podcast about those two sessions a quick kind of farewell to, to, to BCME but the key oh jeez oh, break me, me. break me God, this is going bad but the key thing is for <laughs> listeners Joe may well be in prison uh, with a kind of restraining order that Hannah Fry may have put on her following her antics of tonight's dinner so it may be a solo podcast we'll, we'll just have to see anyway hope you're finding these takeaways useful it's been great to see all your kind of comments on Twitter and stuff so thank you once again to Joe for giving up her time at the end of another busy day even though she's had a long <laughs> it's not been as busy as my day and thank you uh, listeners for, for tuning and we will see you for our final Brick Me 2018 conference. Take care and bye for now.